Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series. My name is Scott Miller and I serve as your weekly host and interviewer each week. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Franklin Covey's thought leader on our practice around customer loyalty and the lead author of one of our recent Wall Street Journal best-selling books, Leading Loyalty, Cracking the Code to Customer Devotion. Sandy Rogers joining us from Florida. Welcome to On Leadership. Thank you, Scott. I'm glad to be here. Sandy, great to see you. We like to have you in the studio when you're here at headquarters where you are often working with our CEO and myself and others on building our customer loyalty business with our clients. Today, you're safely quarantining with your wife. This interview is airing in early May. We're all kind of just barely kind of coming out. So we hope you and your family are safe. And again, thank you for taking the next 30 minutes with us to talk about some of the insights that you've learned on your journey around customer loyalty. Sandy, before we get into some of the questions, you've been a guest on the program before. We've brought you back because the topic has you know, never been more relevant, right? Earning, re-earning, customer loyalty, our own employees' loyalty. Talk a bit about your journey and why you and your co-authors, Sean and Lena, came to write the book, Leading Loyalty. You know, Scott, everybody understands the value of loyalty and we all want it, not just with our family and our friends, but we want it from our customers and the people we work with every day. And we have worked over the last 25 years with a wide range of organizations, big and small, B2B, B2C. And they continually ask us, yeah, I mean, we get loyalty. We, of course, we know what it means to our bottom line. How do we change the behavior of all the people in our organization that are touching our customers and having such a profound impact on whether they're loyal or not? So we wrote the book, Leading Loyalty, Cracking the Code to Customer Devotion. And in it, we share the principles, the practices. We basically provide all of our secrets to how to earn loyalty through our behavior with customers. Sandy, by every measure, you are one of the world's premier thinkers and experts. I can say it, you can't, on this topic of loyalty. You wrote this book that's a best-selling book in the Wall Street Journal. You're quite passionate about the nature of loyalty in organizations. You have a very articulated point of view on focusing less on the what and kind of more on the who, right? The role that people play. Talk a bit about what you've learned as you have uh, keynoted conferences, coached CEOs, led management teams through Franklin Covey's offering. Talk about your passion on why the who is as or even more important than the what. Scott, we have found that more than 70% of the difference between a good and a great experience comes down to the people serving us. Whether it's face-to-face -face in a store or a branch, uh, whether it's on the phone with a call center, uh, even uh, you know the personality of the person uh, typing back and forth with us, People make a difference. We've looked at millions of surveys that customers have taken. And, you know, when you use a, a zero to 10 rating of their experience, and when we analyze the difference between customers who give a, an eight and those who give a 10, very often it's you read in the comments about the people and the difference they made. You know, Scott Miller, he just went above and beyond. Where do you get people like that? So we are a huge fan of going beyond what do we need to do to get better to learning who on our team needs to get better in their interactions with customers. Sandy, your, your thinking has been greatly influenced by Fred Reicheld, right? The 
former associate of Bain, the Bain Fellow, who popularized this idea of net promoter score um, in his books, um, the, um, uh, the Ultimate Question. Will you reorient just for a moment, although you don't spend a lot of time talking about this in the book, you have a lot of knowledge around the net promoter score. Would you just diverge for a moment and talk about that 10-point scale and reorient our listeners and our viewers to what the net promoter score is and why it's important? So Fred created his net promoter score based on what we did at Enterprise you know, 10 years before. He was so inspired by the impact we had in building that culture that he created NPS. And the idea is to ask one question, how likely would you be to recommend, let's say, Franklin Covey to a friend from zero, which would mean not at all likely to recommend, all the way up to 10, extremely likely to recommend. And the, the idea is simple. You, you take your nines and tens, your, your promoters, your, your strongest fans, and, and look at them as a percentage of your total customer base. And from that, you subtract your detractors, the people that give you a zero to six. And that gives you your net promoter score. It's, it's a balance sheet measure, if you will, for your customer base. Your, your assets are your promoters minus your liabilities, your detractors, and, and that's where you stand. Sandy, if I don't ask you, I know you won't share it. You have a pretty um, storied career. You uh, uh, graduated from the Harvard Business School. You worked at Apple for a while. And you had a pretty significant career and influence at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, quite fundamental in terms of the entire car rental industry. It's not an understatement. Would you check your humility for a moment and kind of just talk a bit about some of the accomplishments you and your team created at Enterprise that really disrupted the industry and kind of set you on a journey about this passion you have around building customer and employee loyalty? Well, Scott, I'm a marketing guy. I mean, I started in brand management at Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati and after business school worked in marketing at Apple. And I was then, I met Jack Taylor, the founder of Enterprise Rent-A-Car, and he gave me the opportunity of a lifetime. You know, back then, nobody or very few people had heard of Enterprise Rent-A-Car outside of St. Louis. The company was much smaller. And I had the chance to come in and lead marketing very quickly. Um, and we realized that, you know, the way to grow any business is to provide an experience that, you know, customers will leave and they'll tell their family and friends and they'll come back for more. But back then, our, our service was sometimes great and sometimes not so good. We had no measure of it. We had lots of anecdotal feedback. And so my team and I thought, gosh, you know, Peter Drucker taught us that what gets measured gets managed. Uh, we ought to measure our service in every one of these branches every month. And so we started doing that. We saw very slow improvement. Um, but then we changed everything when we stopped promoting any manager with a customer service score below the company average. I mean, if you're not living your values, um, you know, it's a real problem in, in promotion decisions. So uh, over the next 10 years, we went from delighting 67% of the enterprise customers to 80%. We reduced the variation across our thousands of locations from 28 points to less than 12 points and we tripled the sales from two to $7 billion. This enabled us to become the largest car rental company in North America, and it inspired Fred Reichelt and Bain to launch NPS. It's a great story, right? Because we've all rented cars from almost every, every rental agency, and the experience at Enterprise is visceral, right, in all of our minds in terms of the level of the service. We'll come pick you up. Uh, Sandy, you are pretty passionate around the behaviors 
of frontline employees and the role that they play in the customer experience. I'm going to guess that's both inspiring and somewhat horrifying to the C-suite because it's hard to manage and change the behaviors of thousands of people. And one wrong interaction can go sideways on social media now. What advice do you give to the C-suite, people who are responsible for the customer experience and the training of you know, the, the often case, the least compensated and highest turnover and perhaps in some cases lowest educated role in an organization? How do you reconcile that disproportionate focus on the front line? Uh, Scott, I mean, you're so right. It, it's, I mean, imagine you're in the C-suite. You know that the, the experience of the customer is critical to your company's sales growth and sustainable profitability. But, you know, how do I change the behavior of all these people? You know, it's so much easier to put a loyalty program or frequent flyer miles or rewards or make a policy or a procedure change um, that will raise the tide for all boats and improve the customer experience. And of course, those things, Scott, are important. But to go from good to great, you actually have to roll up your sleeves and figure out how to change the behavior of all of those people, whether they're on the phone or in person, um, and get them to deliver the experience that leave customers with a feeling of, wow, where do they get people like that? I love this company. Um, and so that comes with measuring it uh, monthly. And, and in addition to measuring it accurately, um, we also need to give them give all the frontline teams a process to remind everybody of the principles that are required for earning the loyalty of other people, namely empathy, responsibility, and generosity, and, and to bring them to life more often in interactions, not only with customers, but with each other. You know, Sandy, you and I have somewhat of a similar background. Um, I graduated top of the class at HBS, and I'm kidding. I did not go to Harvard. Uh, the similarities, I spent four years at the Disney company, right? So I was raised being very focused on the, the guest experience, right? We were taught to have a spidey sense, right? To, although I wasn't in the parks, I was on the real estate side. We were required to work in the parks at peak times. And so we were, we were always trained to be attentive and to be empathetic to the guest and you know, look and anticipate what you could do. That's a difficult skill to teach. As I look back at some of the interactions that I've had at retail stores, with airlines, hotels, restaurants, the ones that stand out that are by far and above the ones that I evangelize and communicate is this unique employee that was you know, watching me stand in line and realized I was late for something and pulled me out and got me checked in. Or someone at a restaurant that realized my wife didn't look to be happy with her meal, walked over and said, hey, is everything okay? How do you teach that sort of spidey sense, empathy in people when a lot of these jobs are transactional and they don't maybe bring naturally the best out of that person? And maybe I'm being cynical. No, I, I think you first want to hire for people where those qualities are, were installed at the factory. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of the starting point. And, and then- When you when say factory, you mean like in their family? Exactly. Yeah. People who are just naturally, you know, filled with empathy. I mean, I love the story I heard of, about JetBlue when they were um, recruiting, and they put a bunch of candidates in the room, and they said, "All right, we're going to go around the room, and we're going to have each person tell a, a funny story about something that happened to you." And they weren't grading the person in their story; they were watching the expressions and the attention of everybody else, whether they were engaged, whether they were listening, 
And for the JetBlue recruiter, this was a way to tell, is this the kind of person we want on yeah. our plane yeah. that's going to really engage in an empathetic way with our customers, with our passengers? So, it, it, but what we find and what we talk about in our book, Leading Loyalty, is that there are pockets of greatness in every organization. The best organizations institutionalize greatness and deliver it way more consistently. Um, and we think the way to help make that happen is every week, just pull your team together for 15 minutes and celebrate somebody on the team who is a great example of the loyalty principle you talked about last week. So last week we talked about empathy. I just want to tell a quick story about Amber and the incredible thing I saw her do. And then we teach the next one, let's say it's responsibility, um, give everybody a chance to ask questions, to understand it, and then we all commit to go apply it for the next week. And just this continuous modeling, teaching, celebrating just brings these things to life more often in more interactions. Sandy, you spend most of your time coaching executives, uh, presenting, keynoting conferences. When you're out keynoting, you use one of the tools that Franklin Covey is quite famous for, and these are these card decks. Typically, when one of our thought leaders or authors is out presenting, the audience will get a, a deck of cards, like a tangible you know, tool that they can use beyond just the book that goes back on a bookshelf. So I'm gonna use some of your cards to facilitate the next half of this conversation. The crux of the book and the one day work session are these 11 huddles. And we'll talk about four or five of those huddles in just a moment. Prior to those huddles, you and your co-authors set down what really are three core loyalty principles. Let's just do a quick overview of those. Empathy, responsibility, and generosity. Give me a minute a bit on the principle of empathy. So empathy, you know, it's two, two words, M meaning with, pathos meaning feeling. It's feeling with another person. Um, and I think it says easy, it, it, it can be harder unless we do the practices that, were, that enable empathy, which is first making a genuine human connection with people and then listening to learn their hidden story. If I don't know your hidden story, Scott, how can I possibly have empathy for you? Um, and so often when we engage with people, they size us up very quickly. Is this person genuine? I mean, are they really listening to me? Because otherwise, I'm not sharing. And then you'll, you won't really be able to have empathy. And the second one, the second loyalty principle is responsibility. Uh, remind us what that means in the context of building customer and employee loyalty. So with empathy, you now have a deep understanding of how I'm feeling. Responsibility is turning that understanding into helping me get to where I'm trying to go. It's taking the time to discover the real job I'm trying to get done. Oftentimes what people ask for isn't necessarily reflective of what they're trying to accomplish. So take an extra few seconds or a minute to ask clarifying questions so that you know when we're helping somebody, we've truly gotten them where they want to go. And that includes following up you know, did that work for you, Scott? And if there was a problem, but let's address that now because that's, I'm a responsible person. We'll talk about following up when we get to the uh, 11 huddles and then talk about the third principle, empathy, responsibility, and generosity. And, and generous people very simply go above and beyond. They do more than we expect. They're kind, they share their insights, they surprise us in, in unexpected ways. Um, and so the, these principles are just essential to to earning the loyalty that we all want. So Sandy, in the one day offering and in your keynote speeches and in the book, it all follows a very similar framework, a framework that you've spent the better part of your life researching, testing, 
piloting and now perfecting with clients. The crux are these 11 huddles. I can't go through them all, but I want to talk about two or three of them. Reorient our listener and viewer to what is a huddle? Why is it important? Are people doing it already? And is there a better way to perhaps refine them? So when people hear things like empathy, responsibility, and generosity, they think, you know what, come on. I mean, this is stuff we learned in kindergarten. Why do we need to spend time on this? But just because these things are, are common sense, and, and you did learn them in kindergarten, they're not common practice. So we want to carve out 15 minutes within the whirlwind of our busy lives to bring the team together. Anybody on the team can leave the huddle. It doesn't necessarily have to be the manager. And in these huddles, we want to first celebrate people by sharing examples of you know, somebody who did something that we talked about last week. And then we want to teach the next principle or practice, make sure everybody understands it, let them practice it, and then ask everybody to commit to, okay, between now and when we come back a week from now, can you just go apply this and then share what worked and what did? So Sandy, these 11 huddles are really quite fascinating. I mean, some of the titles are like, make a genuine human connection. Listen to learn the hidden story. Discover the real job to be done. I, I want to talk about a couple of them first, and, and specifically uh, Huddle 7 and Huddle 10. Huddle 7 is follow up to strengthen the relationship, and Huddle 10, surprise with unexpected extras. Before we get into those, will you describe the structure that you prescribe to your uh, clients around how you hold a huddle. There's kind of four agenda items, celebrate, learn, commit, and schedule follow-up. Talk a bit about opening it with celebrate. Again, the celebration is, it's so easy. Um, it, last week we talked about, you know, taking responsibility for our clients' needs. I'm going to lead today's huddle. We're only going to be together for 15 minutes. It could be face-to-face. -face. It could be virtual, you know, like this particular uh, discussion. Yeah. And I just want to start with a story. I noticed um, you know, Jimmy on our team to do these incredible things with this customer. You know, he really took the time to ask her what was specifically wrong with her coffee machine. And, you know, he took responsibility for the real job, which wasn't so much to diagnose why her Keurig machine didn't work. It was to help her get a cup of hot coffee that morning. And, you know, that really came through in that interaction with the customer. So celebration's got to be number one. And then we teach and make sure everybody really understands what I mean by generosity and, you know, what gets in the way of us being generous with each other on this team and in what situations would it be important for us to be more generous. So people now get the idea and the commitment part's easy. Well, let's just try it. Okay. And we'll come back. We'll celebrate what worked and we'll talk about what didn't. You also talk about, um, you know, reporting back on previous commitments and then schedule follow-up. These huddles, ideally are sort of organic, meaning they happen weekly, but they also are led by a different member of the team so that engagement stays high as well. Is that true? We recommend that. We provide a very simple uh, book that tells you what questions to ask and uh, what scenarios to go through. We provide videos and audios that make it very emotional and engaging. Um, it, it's very simple. Uh, anybody can do it. And um, I tell you, one of the best ways for organizations to, you know, decide if this is for them is, you know, ask for volunteers, you know, explain what it is, see who would like to test it for 11 weeks every time that these, they, they do these little pilot tests. And then they go back and ask, well, what did you think? Is this something we should do? They, they want to roll it out company wide. 
we had a, a global software uh, provider uh, with 300 call center teams. And this was last fall. And she, she went through the huddles and I described what they are. And she said, this is so different than every other kind of training we've ever considered for our customer service people. I, I don't know what to think. I said, well, ask for volunteers. See if anybody wants to try it. She, she said two weeks later, Sandy, I asked him, they all want to try it. So we're going to just roll it out to 300 teams. And you know, the incredible thing, Scott, is through this whole COVID-19 crisis, we touched base and said, are you still doing the huddles? I mean, how's this working? She said, are you kidding? Everybody now is working from home. This is our lifeline to our employees. It's yeah. the 15 minutes we can get together and talk about these really important things with each other. Sandy, such a great story. Uh, 11 huddles, I don't mean to ambush you, but I'm gonna just, uh, I'm gonna talk about two of them. Huddle seven, follow up to strengthen the relationship. You mentioned that briefly. You shared that there's five core ideas here. You call them the five A's to effective follow-up. Assume yes. others have good intent, align yep. with the person's emotions, apologize without a hint of defensiveness, ask how you can make things right, and assure the other person, you will follow through and then do it. Assume, align, apologize, ask, and assure. Riff a little bit on this huddle number seven. So I think the number one reason why people don't want to follow up with customers, and here's what I mean. You know, a customer is walking out of your place of business, and um, it, I, all you have to do is, you know, you can stop them and just say, hi, my name is Sandy. I'm the manager here. I would just love some feedback. Was there anything we could have done to better serve you? And the customer is going to quickly size you up. You know, mm -hmm. is he sincere? I mean, does he really want to hear something? No, I'm really, I'm the manager. I'd love to hear any ideas you've got. And, and so we don't do that because we're worried about what's going to come next. It's the problem. It's like, oh, my gosh, what happens if it wasn't right? And, you right. know, do I feel prepared to deal with those situations? Scott, those situations are your best opportunities for earning fierce loyalty. Because when you follow the five A's that you just described, you know, when you first align with that customer and you get on the same side of the table and, the, and they don't feel defensive and you apologize, you know, oh, my gosh, you know, Mr. Miller, we totally dropped the ball. I, I, I want to just tell you, I am so sorry about that. I completely understand how frustrated you are. What can we do to make this right for you? I, I, I really want to make this right. And then we follow through and, and, and get it done. And the customer walks away and says, yeah, they screwed up, but where do you get people like that? I mean, that was incredible. Those are the stories that you see on, on social media that build the business. Sandy, it's so true. I mean, like Dr. Covey, our mutual friend that co-founded our company says, you know, common knowledge isn't common practice, right? I mean, I, one of my biggest pet peeves, my wife and I and our three boys, we eat out a lot. Not recently, but we generally eat out a lot. And one of my biggest pet peeves is going to a restaurant, and as you walk out the door, I'll say to the owner or the maitre d' or the, you know, $8 an hour host or hostess, thanks so much, and they'll say, you're welcome. And I'm thinking, no, wrong answer. You should have been looking us in the eye, stopping and saying, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you for your business. How was everything? I'm like, you're welcome. I, I, what? I, if I was a restaurant owner... I can guarantee you I would be doing exactly what you're prescribing right now. I'm guessing everyone would say the same thing. Why is common knowledge not common practice? Well, because we don't emphasize it enough. I mean, when people hear these stories, they go, yeah, of course, that makes sense. But that's why we do the huddle, to remind ourselves to do these things. And when somebody's walking out of the restaurant, in your example, we don't want to ask a yes, no question. Was everything fine? We want to ask a question where we can actually learn something. 
you know, gosh, Scott, thanks so much for coming in. Was there anything tonight? I know you loved it, but was there anything we could have done a little bit better? I would just love to know for our, for the next time you come or any other guest. And, and if the, the customers will, will share with you if they believe you're sincere. And that's an opportunity for some incredible insight. Cindy, I love your passion for this topic. I've seen you on stage in front of thousands of people. You're enormously credible about this. And I love this next huddle. Huddle 10, surprise with unexpected extras. The core ideas are giving others more than they expect creates loyalty. Doing little things for others brings joy and meaning to our work. And uh, you encourage people to kind of run through thoughtful experiments to see which ideas will work. How have you seen this in practice, and what are some of the key insights you'd um, send people off with on Huddle Huddle Ten? So th this is my favorite huddle. I mean, this is one of the Great. most effective ways we improve service at enterprise. Is you know when you're with your huddle in the team, ask this question. You know, what is something that we could do for our customers that maybe we've never done before that would really you know wow them, would really make a difference? It's it's not something that costs a lot of money. It, it may very well be free, but but whoever's leading that huddle just take a, a whiteboard or a piece of paper and write down all the ideas. Encourage people to throw out crazy ideas. I mean, it's fun, it's funny. And then look at the list and let your team vote on which idea they think is worthy of a little pilot test over the next week. Um, and you get your votes and you look at it and you say, you know what, why not? Why don't we try that? I mean, it, it, it doesn't cost much to do that. Let's see what happens. And when, when teams are doing this, you, you, you uncover wonderful ideas that perhaps you would have never thought of before in, in the headquarters office. And those ideas will spread like wildfire through the organization because you make heroes out of the teams that have come up with this stuff. And I'll just give you an example of, and this maybe didn't come out of a brainstorming, but I was back when we used to fly on airplanes, I was coming off a, a plane in uh, Philadelphia and I was uh, late to a meeting. I was in the back of the plane and I grab my book bag and I'm just racing off the plane. I've called my Uber, I'm, I'm running down the concourse and behind me, there is an airline employee, um, somebody who was on the plane coming after me with my suit bag. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe in my rush to get off the plane, I left my suit bag in the uh, overhand uh, baggage. And I said, thank you so much, that was incredible. And I thought to myself, Scott, why would that person do that? They could have given my suit bag to, you know, the gate agent, or they could have given it to lost and found, but that was such an incredibly generous thing to do. And I think not only, you know, how great I felt that I didn't lose my suit bag that day, but I also think about how great that employee felt when they went home from work that night, you know, and, and so I think one of the most important things that we can do as leaders, no matter where we are in the organization, is to put our team into a position to enrich the lives of other people. Allow them to do great things like what that airline employee did. Where I heard recently that the local Chick-fil-A manager delivered you know, a free lunch to all the Costco employees who've been working all these extra hours to make sure we all have the toilet paper we need in our homes. I mean, just little stuff like that doesn't cost a lot, but it makes a huge impression. Sandy, it feels like the pandemic has reset the way every organization could reemerge in the marketplace. You know, if, you, if you're on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn, you're seeing every day organizations starting to realize this is a pivot point for us. A, a good friend of mine, Nancy Duarte, 
She wrote a bunch of books, Slideology, Resonate. Franklin Covey has hired her firm, Duarte. It's a design firm in California where they help with messaging, creative, uh, visuals, slide decks, uh, things like that. And they've offered their courses free for anyone who has been terminated, laid off, or furloughed. I mean, this is their business. Their business is, you know, consulting and training and coaching. And I really give a hat out to Nancy and her team. You know, go to Duarte.com. Truly, it's a great, because this is an organization that's, you know, thinking about what can we do to help, what can we do to differentiate, how do we go the extra mile? I think there's a lot of companies that are seeing this as a potential to refresh, recreate, reconnect. No question, this timeout we've been given uh, really gives us an opportunity to rethink what's important, what we're grateful for, what difference we hope to make. And I, I just think that's a wonderful story you shared. You know, one of the things that we've been doing with the extra time on our hands is, is we and we continue to offer this, anybody who's got a, a metric or a measure of their customer experience, we're happy to evaluate it at no charge and take a look and see if we can help and see whether it's actually identifying who on their team is doing a great job and should be celebrated and who needs more coaching and training. Sandy, our time is ending here. Send us off, talk to the frontline manager, the first level manager that has a team, and he or she is wondering, how do I take the first step on implementing the huddles? Obviously, you could buy the book. The book's a great read for like a book team, right? Like a book club, because you actually illustrate the huddles in the book, what's the first step for someone to begin implementing these principles and starting with the huddles? Take a look at the book. I mean, we, this is this is simple. Um, you know, we all have people to our homes or our condo or our apartment, and we know how to make people feel welcome. We know how to make people feel at ease and to have empathy for them, to take responsibility for them, having a good time, to be generous with them. And we just want to put everybody on our team in a in a safe place to do those things that we do at home naturally we want to make those things more natural in our work environment and, and move away from the scripts and the perceived constraints that a lot of us have oh I, i'm not allowed to do that well yes you are allowed to do that you know it just makes work more fun when i can go home at the end of the day and and feel like i, I made a difference for this person you know i went above and beyond what i'm expected to do um so read the book take a look at these principles and, and consider investing 15 minutes a week to, to, to celebrate your, if all you did was just celebrate the people on your team that are having empathy for your customers or for each other, that are really taking responsibility to help customers get to where they're trying to go. And examples of people who are being generous, that in and of itself will help you build a culture that delivers great experiences more often. Sandy, last thought, as, we, as business begins to trickle back out and, and, and organizations feel safer around uh, uh, larger groups, perhaps even conferences and events or company meetings or strategy meetings, you are in normal times keynoting around the world, uh, hour, hour and a half or such. What is your sweet spot when, when organizations are bringing you in to speak to their leadership team, to speak to their annual sales conference, kind of what is your sweet spot in terms of uh, when organizations bring you in for that? Well, I, I love to lay out the principles and practices and I show very powerful uh, videos that, that bring these concepts to life and get people to really thinking like, oh my gosh, wow, I, now I know what you mean by empathy and the hidden story or 
you know, that's funny, but now I get what you mean by truly taking responsibility for the job to be done. Um, but what I really love to do is, is to then get them talking about the constraints within their culture. What stands in the way of us doing these obvious things more often, more consistently? And um, it, it's breaking down those barriers and reminding ourselves of what's truly important that, that enables us to build the, these winning cultures that we're all you know, trying to achieve. Sandy, I've seen you speak. You're a bankable keynote and consultant. Thank you for joining us today. The book is Leading Loyalty, Cracking the Code to Customer Devotion. Sandy Rogers, the lead author of the Wall Street Journal bestselling book and chief architect of the solution that follows the same huddles and processes. Thank you for joining us today on Franklin Covey's On Leadership. Thanks so much, Scott. Hey, and thanks for joining us as well. Uh, if you're not subscribing to On Leadership, please visit franklincovey.com. Click on the On Leadership tab. You can subscribe. It's a free weekly podcast interview. comes out in a newsletter every Tuesday via email. You can subscribe. Your family, your friends, your parents, your colleagues, your boss, whoever you'd like. We have an interview every week, both on video and audio, just like today with Sandy. We also include in the newsletter a downloadable tool and a blog written by me. And you also can consume On Leadership on all of your favorite podcast channels. We'd love to have you rank us, rate us, and review us. And we'll see you back here with a new interview next week for On Leadership.